Welcome back to Tell Me What Happened, the podcast that features folks from all walks of life telling us one childhood experience and how that event has impacted who they are today. I'm your host, Jay Rehack, and like you, I've had my share of childhood experiences, some of them great, some of them kind of painful. But I'd like to think that everything that happened to me has helped make me who I am today. Tell Me What Happened is sponsored by Sidelining Publishing, publishers of quality books, including Susan Salador's classic, I've Got Peace in My Fingers, available worldwide on Amazon.com or wherever quality books are sold. Tell Me What Happened is also sponsored by LaughSaver.com. Visit LaughSaver.com and record your laughter. We'll keep it for you now and forever. It's free and your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren will appreciate it. Visit LaughSaver.com today and add your laughter to the world's largest repository of laughter in the world. That's LaughSaver.com. All right, today I have as my guest Thomas Liebert. Thomas is a graduate of McAllister College, similar to my daughter, actually. It's where I met him. And he's an old family friend. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jay. Thomas, are you ready to tell your story? I think so. All right. Well, listen, Thomas, I'm just going to get out of the way. But at the end, I'm going to ask you one question. And that one question is this. How do you think that experience, that childhood experience, impacted who you are today? You ready? I'm ready. All right. Take it away, Thomas. So I spent very little of the summer after uh, fourth grade living in reality. Fantasy and imagination were not really an escape from anything in particular going on in my life, but it, it just seemed to make everything more exciting. And it was a pretty great time if this was your interest. The first Lord of the Rings movie had like come out a year before. It was sort of the beginning of a bumper crop of epic, you know, young adult fantasy series. And we had just moved to a suburb of Albany uh, about a year or two earlier. So in the back of this house, there was a ravine, a small creek. It's really more of a, you know, an indent with a swamp. Now there were houses on either side, but no one had really fenced it in. It was kind of unruly. And it was here that one of the main places that he and the boys from around the neighborhood were exploring and we were playing in. So we lived in upstate New York, but somebody years earlier had planted some decorative bamboo in the back of their yard. And it turns out it's sort of an invasive species and turned the entire swath of the ravine behind our house into a small forest of bamboo. Now, it's not the thick bamboo that you see sometimes, it's sort of like a, the size of maybe a medium branch. And when it dried, you could break it off at the root and it made a perfect sword, sturdy enough to sort of whack away and sword fight, but not enough weight to put any real force on it. If you hit somebody over the head with it, you know, it was going to sting a little bit, but you weren't going to cock anybody too bad. So the six of us or so would divide up. Some people would take the dugout fort 
across the street, the log reinforced pit that we had built the previous summer. And some people uh, would sit in my backyard in the forest and we would run back and forth having these fantasy battles where we were fighting, taking over, capturing the flag and coming back. Eventually we uh, were told by the local drivers that we had to pick one side of the street because they, you know, we would dart out from behind the cars. Uh, and that's what I spent a lot of that summer doing. Now, the other half of that is that if I was not outside playing, I was reading pretty much whatever I could get my hands on. The Redwall series was a big part of that. It's where you have these anthropomorphic mice and badgers and squirrels, one of the good guys, and they have these battles uh, around Redwall Castle with the evil stoats and weasels. They go after ancient treasure. But the hook of all of these books was always a secret, some map hidden in a tapestry, a sword, a pendant stashed away somewhere, and I could not get enough of that. So in this backyard, our house was built around the 30s. They used to throw all of this trash. And one time when we were playing out there, I found a glass bottle, which I was sure was some priceless treasure that I was going to be able to give to the museum that they were going to be able to put in their collection. So this was sort of the mindset I was in. I also, in this time, somebody gave my parents the Da Vinci Code or one of those books. And it was like a little bit, I was a little bit too young for the, the masked Illuminati orgies to be of that much interest to me. But the codexes, the ancient orders, the cryptexes hidden in a box revealed by the Fibonacci sequence hidden in a cross and the chapel, that was what I was all about. So the sort of the rediscovery of some power of the past, leaving a trail of breadcrumbs for the right person to follow. So it was this summer that we also took a trip to see our relatives in Scotland with a stop for a few days in London. Now we went to art museums. We went to the Tower of London. I don't remember if we went to Buckingham Palace, but it seemed sort of silly to see. I remember seeing some of those guards and that it was kind of silly to have these people from the modern day still pretending like it was two or 300 years ago. But in between all these trips, wherever we were going, I, I had my nose in a book. I would participate in family activities, but I also definitely remember being told to pay attention to where we actually were and to get you know my face out of this book. And I think it was about halfway through this trip that I finished whatever I was reading and needed a refresh. So we went into some local bookstore there and I picked up a book on Mary, Queen of Scots. Now, in my mind, when I was thinking about this, I, I remember it being historical fiction and sort of geared towards young adults, but I could not find anything when I was Googling that would have fit that description. So I, I think it must have just been a sort of sympathetic biography. So Mary, Queen of Scots, became the Queen of Scotland like when she was six days old and her father died. She was at five sent to France to marry the heir apparent of the French throne. She was this larger than life, smart, witty, beautiful person in the French court. 
At 18, her husband died, her French husband, uh, who was the king, and she went back to Scotland uh, and had to maneuver politically as a Catholic in a Protestant country. Uh, as a result of some of this intrigue, her husband's house was bombed, he was killed. She eventually remarried one of the suspected assassins. She had to raise an army at one point to oppose some local lords. So even though this was a true story, this was her biography, it could have read like one of these other books that I was reading. And one of the days when we were in Edinburgh, where my aunt's family lived, I was told in the morning that we were taking a trip. So we got in the car you know, a foggy Scottish morning. We drive about an hour north of the city and get on a ferry that was going to drive us out to see a castle. Now, it was Scottish weather. It was early and I didn't really want to engage that much. So I posted up in the little cabin of this ferry boat and took out my book. Now, at the, this point in the book in Mary's life, the feuding among the Scottish nobility had led to a series of battles, accusations that she was a murderer, and she was eventually kidnapped and imprisoned in a castle on an island called Loch Leven, a loch about 20 miles north of Edinburgh. And then we were there. I don't remember exactly when it was that we realized, but we had arrived on the same island that this character, this person whose life I had been imagining in my head, we were at a place that she had really been in rooms that she had really slept in that she had really plotted in and it felt like magic it felt like i had cracked some mystery or discovered something special even though the whole point of this tourist area was that it was where she had been that was the point but i remember feeling that if i looked carefully i would find something some loose stone that nobody in 400 years had happened to notice that was concealing a wax scroll with some long lost intrigue, some letter that would change what everybody knew about this event, this person who had lived 300 years ago. And I also remember it was surprising. Like if you'd asked me to describe before we went what it was really going to look like, I could have come up with a reasonable guess. But because I was in this fantasy space, I had built in my head a huge dark tower surrounded by 50 foot walls and guard towers and chains and fire. And when we got there, it was pretty much just a damp rock. So while I remember that sort of giddiness at those two worlds coming together, I also remembered not not disappointment that it didn't match that but a little bit of sadness a little bit of melancholy that this was sort of the the reality that it was that it you know all of these things that had happened to her happened to a real person that had actually happened to somebody and it wasn't just this story that somebody made up it had been a real person with real pain and a real experience. And that's my story. All right. Well, that's very vivid. I, I picked up on, I know that feeling of a little boy who wants to find something 
that nobody else has seen. I know that feeling. I remember that when I go to various places, it's like looking for something that, you know, maybe somebody else has missed or whatever. So as you look back on that experience, Thomas, and sort of that convergence of being a fourth grader with a great imagination and a great reader, and then realizing that sometimes what you read is fiction and sometimes it's actually based on real people and real pain and real experiences. How do you think that's impacted who you are today? I think it means that you don't, I don't think of needing to have some big gesture in a place for it to be an important time. Like a lot of this stuff, a lot of these big historic events just happen in mundane places. And I feel like that stuck with me. Like you're going to be, I, I, I don't, wait for it to look like something significant is happening or for there to be some sort of sign that the events that we're going through are big. It, it's just, it reminds me that it's like, it, it is as much as you want to build up the story in your head, it is people living in a place and that is how everything happens. When you circle back a little bit to going back to the uh, the area that you lived in the backyard, the, the place in the backyard yeah. or whatever, did you find um, the things that you found, an old bottle or whatever? Did that did you did you sort of ascribe some sort of a, a history to it when you were when you were looking at it, or did you just feel like? Oh yeah, you know, they were they were flasks of one sort or another. They had some. Tonic, you know, we knew that they basically everyone just threw their trash out the back window, but you never know. And this area, particularly down below, you know, it was probably bottles that somebody, some teenagers in the 80s had thrown down there after a party, but the labels were gone. So we didn't know what it was there. Was it someone had taken some prohibition liquor and buried it there was it something else so any any the thinnest of pretenses can just could have become that that whole thing and you got to you didn't have to be in the place i would be now where i'm saying it's probably an old bottle probably not i got to i got to imagine the the entirety of what this little thing i found could be yeah i hear it i i sense it i feel this experience of a couple of different things like as i said is it as a child just looking around and finding things artifacts and then also going to a historic place and saying these people actually live and they suffered and they hopefully had joy too but that feeling of oh these people are not just stories they're actual flesh and blood who experienced life or whatever and i guess mary queen of the scots or whatever you think about her in some grandiose terms and then you go see a rock that she's, she's just there and that's it and you're, so. yeah and she had the right like it, it, and she had to eat somewhere and she was bored or she had to walk around and the island wasn't big enough and it wasn't when you read it elsewhere you're only getting the the highlights the battles the whatever it's not the day-to-day -day, she woke up late she ate she drank coffee whatever <laughs> and you can only and you remember that once you're there and you're doing the same things like we were in edinburgh so i i assume we brought a fish and chips a chippy with us to this island and 400 years later we're eating the same type of fish that they someone had fished out of the lock or the 
uh, this whatever C is there in Edinburgh, and it's this basically the same thing. Did you study history, or what was your what was your major? I was an English major. Oh, okay. I, I could have been a history major, but both of my parents were, and so I needed a little. <laughs> I needed something else. <laughs> well, is the uh, was the experience in England did, or in Scotland did that impact your view of traveling, etc.? I mean, did it diminish it or heighten it, or did it have any impact at all in terms of that, in terms of your life? Yeah, I, I, well, when you when I read this the email talking about what you were looking for, it was one of the first things that I thought of because it just it it just. I have felt since then. I love I love going to the place. There's just something that you're not some ambient sense of the place lingering from whatever it is that you're gonna pick up on. And there's no real way, at least for me, to shortcut that. Now I like that just walking around Chicago. I live down the street from a beautiful art deco building you can you can do the same thing walking through any part of chicago which is why part of the reason i love it but to me there's something that you're going to pick up being in the place that you just have to you're going to have to go there to get it yeah i like it i i again this it it resonates with me because i do feel that um in a, in a lot of different contexts. I don't know. They say that if you dig three feet down in Chicago, you're going to find the garbage from the 19th century and stuff because everybody yeah. used to bury their garbage. And so I've done backyard digs and found old, you know, artifacts, et cetera. And it feels, feels like a little bit like an archaeological dig. And then you yeah. sort of do get that sense of, oh, wait a minute. This, there's a long line of people who've lived on this planet before me, you know, and and just the whole feeling of that. That's all. I mean, I, I, I don't want to get into any more than that. I think you've sort of articulated the idea that as a creative person, as, as a big reader, you you imagine realities. And then on the other hand, you go, you know, get a deeper sense in a, in a historical context. But we all, any object, any building, anything you look at, you can sort of take a minute, take a deep breath, you can sort of come up with a storyline and it's a, it's a human experience. probably. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show, Thomas. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you telling me your story. Uh, thanks for having me on. This is great. Thanks for putting these together. Yeah, I'm, I love it. I, I learn something every time I do these podcasts. And I'm always intrigued by what people remember as young people that sort of sticks with them. And like I said, from this podcast, from talking with you, what resonates with me is I remember as a child being in various places. We used to, we used to go to the farms that used to surround where, where I was. I grew up in a suburb, but it was basically farmland first. And we would go to the old burn down farms and look for mm-hmm. artifacts and we'd find different things, you know, <laughs> old rusty tools or uh, bottles, as you said, or whatever. And you sort of come up with a history form where you'd think you found something that nobody else has ever seen. Or, and it was very exciting to do that sort of an exploratory thing or an exploration, uh, being an explorer. I had that feeling it kind of came back when you were telling that story. So, yeah. So thank you for that. 
well, I hadn't thought about it so specifically in a long time. And I got, I got a chance to sit down and actually figure out what it was about that moment. I remember, I remember being on this boat, holding this book. I can still see the cover of the book. Wow. All right. Well, that's our show. Again, thank you, Thomas Liebert, for being on the show. I'd also like to thank my sponsors, Sidelining Publishing, Publishers of Quality Books, and LaughSaver.com. Visit LaughSaver.com and record your laughter. It's free, and we'll keep it for you, and everybody in your family will appreciate it. All right, so I'm going to end the show with Susan Salador's I've Got Peace in My Fingers. I'm recording this at a time of some historic difficulties in terms of the... Uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. And so I'm going to end the show with I've got peace in my fingers. So until next time, this is Jay Rehack asking you all to please stay safe out there and try not to hurt anybody. I've got peace, peace, peace in my fingers. Watch what I can do. I've got peace, peace, peace in my fingers. I'm going to shake hands with you. I've got peace, peace. Peace in my fingers, watch what I can do. I've got peace, peace, peace in my fingers. I'm gonna shake hands with you. I've got words, words, words in my head. Watch what I can do. I've got words, words, words in my head. I'm gonna talk things over with you. I've got words, words, words in my head. Watch what I can do. I've got words, words, words in my head. I'm gonna talk things over with you. I've got love, love, love in my heart. Watch what I can do. I've got love, love, love in my heart. I'm gonna give some to you. I've got love, love, love in my heart. Watch what I can do. I've got love, love, love in my heart. I'm gonna give some to you. I've got peace, peace, peace in my fingers. Words, words, words in my head. I got love, love, love in my heart. I'm gonna give some.